guys, welcome back. So glad that we have this time together. I can't stress enough how much I enjoy it and how much our hope is that you would consume it, enjoy it, and it would be a blessing to you in your spiritual walk, in your doubts, in your fears, in your joys, that this time together would serve as a blessing to you. So that's my hope. Uh, That's how I've prepared that this would be a blessing. I was joking with some of the staff earlier that we're far enough in the Psalms where I can start picking some more obscure ones and no one will notice that maybe my sermons are all the same so far. But that's the good news about the Psalms is that they present this consistent image of God, a God who will meet us, a God who will provide for us, a God who is worthy of our trust, worthy of our praise, and he cares about us. And we get to see that time and time again through all 150 Psalms. So I kind of just abbreviated the whole sermon right there in a summary, but I hope you stick around for the rest of it because tonight we're diving into Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is 40 verses long, so it's longer than all of the other Psalms that we have looked through. But we're just going to highlight a section of it. But the purpose of this Psalm is an acrostic poem, but it's also written to be educational. It's written to be a sermon in and of itself. But I I wanted to focus in on part of it to to really highlight the focus of this psalm, to really highlight what's going on. And then I want to encourage you to go back and read it, because there's some really good stuff in there about how God has a sense of humor and God does laugh. There's great wisdom in there about how people who have been somewhere really have a lot of influence and a lot to offer to people who have not been somewhere. So I encourage you to read the whole thing at some point through this week, but I want us to highlight a few things about it. Charles Spurgeon says that, This sermon highlights the great riddle of the prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous. So another way to put that is it it highlights this dynamic we have in our culture, in our times, in our society, where we see a lot of people who are thriving and, and succeeding who we don't think deserve to thrive and succeed. We often see people who... Uh, get rich or get a promotion or get the newest car or the fancy house or whatever. We see these people who are living up to the highest measure of success that we deem successful who don't deserve it. Whereas when we're faithful, when we're pursuing the Lord, we feel like, well, maybe we're not getting where we wanted to be. We aren't cutting corners, so we're not getting as rich. Our, Our needs maybe aren't getting met like we thought they might need to be. And so it's this, it's this push and pull, this paradox of the the evil people are getting rich and the righteous people are not getting rich. And it's just not fair. And I'm not going to call Psalm 37 life's not fair, but I think Psalm 37 has a, a promise for us, a covenant promise about how we have hope in the Lord. We can trust in the Lord to take care of us and he's going to take care of the wicked. He's going to take care of the evil. And their time is, is a short season where we may see them thrive by society standards. But in our devotion to the Lord, as we pursue him and recognize who he is, he will remain faithful and we will see how we become successful, how we thrive, and how all our promises are are made true in him through Jesus. So this is the Psalm of David. David wrote it when he was older, we know, because he references being older and wiser and offering that in a younger form. So this psalm reflects kind of the book of Proverbs where it's an older person teaching a younger person. And it's an acrostic, so each verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So some some fun facts about the psalm, but I think there's a lot of promise in here for us. If you struggle with comparison or worry or doubt, this psalm has a lot of hope for you. 
And I've learned during this season that maybe I'm struggling with comparison and maybe a little bit of worry, which is new to me. I've never really dealt with that. So tonight we're looking at a psalm that I need to hear and be reminded of, and and I would hope it's encouraging to you, but a lot of this is so that I could be reminded as well, so that I could be encouraged as well, so I can continue to teach and influence and direct people toward the promise that God has for us in the Psalms, in his word, and in his son, Jesus. So we're going to dive in, uh, same pattern that we've kind of followed. We're going to read a few verses, talk about them, read a few verses, talk about them, and I really think it'll help us break down the text as I've read it and as I've studied it. So let's read Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So this, is, this sets us up. It puts the ball on the tee for us to see where are we headed? What is this going to be about? And he says, don't fret. This is the very first command, advice, that this older, wiser David is offering to the reader, offering to the Jew, offering to us as we receive it. Do not fret. And so in the original Hebrew, that word fret translates a couple different ways. One way is heat up. When you fret, you're, you're heating up, like your, your heart is burning, you're, you're actively stressing about something, so your body temperature is rising. And another translation of that, that word fret is when you're being gnawed at, like a, like a dog would be chewing on a bone, gnawing on a bone. It's this continual effort to build, to grow. And he says, do not do that. So don't fret, don't worry, don't let your heart burn, don't begin to fume, don't let the steam blow out your ears as you, as you worry or fret, don't do that. And then there's an immediate because, because of the evil. So if there's someone doing wrong and you're really stressing about them, you're fretting, you feel like it's gnawing at you in your bones, he's saying, don't do that because God has a promise for us. He also says, don't be envious. Envy of those who do wrong. Oftentimes, we're not envious of people who are doing wrong. We're envious of what they get. So we're not envious of the fact that they cheated, that they cut corners, that they lied, that they stole. But we are a little bit envious of the fact that they've got this gigantic house or this super slick car or seven new iPhones or extra cash just to throw around. We're envious of those things. But they're like the grass that withers. And we see this every year. Grass grows and then it dies off. There's a season where it thrives and there's a season where it dies Green plants, as well, is another word that, phrase that David uses. He says, these people are like green plants. I just planted a couple shrubs in my backyard because it's time to plant them, and the the little label from the store I bought them from said how to plant them and when. So I did that, and I'm seeing that one of the plants is really getting green and big and lush, and the other one, all the leaves fell off, and the sticks are, it's just twigs. There's no flowers on it, and it's starting to get smaller. And I can look at those and see like, wow, there is a season where this shrub will grow and grow and grow. There's also a season where it will die. And there's coming a season in a few months where our trees, the leaves will fall off of them. Our plants will no longer have flowers on them anymore. And so as we look here, we should not fret. We should not be envious of people that are like grass, people that are like plants, successes that are really not successes. Yet, someone may have more money. Someone may be more wealthy, more influential. They may have a better job, a better house, better car, better opportunity. But there's more for the Christ follower. There's more for the righteous. And that's what we get to jump into. We get to live a life confident that God has taken care of us beyond just treating us like a piece of grass. 
Because our faithfulness, our foundation that we're founded upon is so much more than some money that will run out of one day, some health that will begin to fail and decline one day, some house that may not be as pretty and relevant and cool one day. So fretting and envy are the two big things that we're diving into. And those, those are on this side of the column. We should not fret. We should not envy. And David's going to push us forward to tell us what we should do instead. But I want to break down envy a little bit for us because most of us don't realize that we're envious until we see something that maybe we start to get a little jealous about. Um, and maybe jealous isn't even the word. But we begin to compare. And that seed of comparison creeps in and it starts to grow into jealousy, and then jealousy flourishes into envy. And envy builds into resentment. And that's when we begin to worry. That's when we, we begin to fret. Because the more we compare, the more we realize, well, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of house. We don't have that kind of freedom, flexibility. We don't have those type of children. And so we're comparing. I think Teddy Roosevelt says that comparison is the thief of joy. And I would agree with that most of the time, is when we're comparing we're often looking at people who have more or better than us rather than celebrating what they have, but recognizing that we have everything we need right here as God provided for us. We just finished four weeks in Philippians and just finished one, one week. We closed out the, the series with a message on contentment. And contentment is recognizing that God has given you everything you need. And that's what David is saying as well, is we should be content. We shouldn't be jealous and fret and worry about these people who have better or different than us, let's find our contentment in the Lord because he continues to meet us. But still today, in this season, as we begin to take steps toward whatever the next season looks like for us in this shelter in place, whatever the next season for work, for home life, for school, for church, whatever that looks like, we still have some frets, some worries, some doubts, some envy. And I think worrying about our past isn't going to get us to the future that we want. Fretting about someone else's present isn't going to improve our present. So we need to recognize what we have today, where we were tomorrow, but know there's someone in charge of our tomorrow. We have a yesterday, we have a today, we have a tomorrow, and all of that is God's, and he's got a plan for us, and he's got a hope for us. So don't worry away your present. Don't fret about your past, but cling to the hope of today and tomorrow, because that's what God is for. So let's continue reading. In, in these next probably four verses, you've heard these verses before, but I think there's six challenges for us to hang on to, to really drive us through a week, through a season, and really claim our stake right here in our faith to know these are truth. So Psalm 37 verses three and four. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So there's some, some big words, some big verbs here for us. And the very first one is trust. Trust in the Lord. We've brought this up time and time again throughout the Psalms. It's this theme of the Psalms that our God is a God worthy of our trust. And the actual translation is to roll your burdens on the Lord, which is probably more accurate for how we think about our burdens, because we can't pick them up and carry them somewhere and lay them down but we can roll our burdens onto the Lord because God has proven himself trustworthy. He made a way when there was no way. He gave us hope when there was no hope. 
He let light shine into the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And he gave us his son as an example, as a friend, as a leader, as a perfect sacrifice, and as a doorway into grace and eternal life. And so we can trust in that Lord who solved the problem that we could not solve. And he did it in a way that we never could, and it's the only way that could count. And so there's gospel truth right here, and trust in the Lord. Roll your burdens on the Lord because he's trustworthy. We're not just hoping, okay, this better work out. God has proven himself time and time again. And I think the pattern is once we trust in something, we're more able to delight in it. But if you don't trust in it, you may not delight in it. When you get in your car and it turns on, you you trusted that it would turn on or you hoped that it would turn on. But when you start to slow down and you pump the brakes, maybe your brakes don't make a noise or maybe they're like mine sometimes and they start to squeak. And so your trust starts to erode like your brake pads are, which means your delight is starting to erode as well. I don't trust in my brakes as much and I can't delight in them if I don't trust in them. So the very first step in getting beyond fretting, getting beyond envy, overcoming comparison, the very first step is that we would trust that we have a trustworthy God. We have a faithful God who's consistent and providing and taking care of us. And I hope that we can see that. Because when we roll our burdens onto the Lord, the very next step is to do good. Do good, is it's a phrase that pops up all over Scripture. And do good is our first response to trusting in the Lord. We're able to say, I trust that God has this, so I'm going to behave in a manner worthy of the calling that he has given me. I trust that God is in charge of this, so I'm going to outdo my brothers and sisters in showing honor to others. I trust that God is for me, but I also trust that he's for you. So I'm going to show up to meet a need however I can. I I trust that he's going to care for me financially and take care of my needs, so I'm going to trust in him by giving generously all that I can so that others can live as well and recognize the prosperity that he has for us, the hope, the success that he's bringing to us. So trust in the Lord and do good. I, I scan through the New Testament and, and I, there's just so many highlights as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you jump into Paul's epistles, there's just so much about do good. Do good. While our faith is not founded upon what we do, our response to the good news of the gospel should prompt us into action. So do good is a great promise for us. Jesus says in in Luke chapter six, he says, love your enemies and do good. So these people that are against you, you should do good. You should lend and not expect anything in return. You should give them what they need, knowing they probably won't repay you because our trust is not in their repayment. Our trust is in the Lord, meeting our needs. So trust in the Lord. Love your enemies and do good. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind and he meets our needs. And then in Galatians 6, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those that are of the household of faith. So right now in this season, we're seeing both of those dynamics. We have people who are giving money and giving supplies and goods and services to people that they don't know, that they don't trust, that they may not agree with, that may be their enemies. We have people just giving so others may have. And then we have other people that are diving all in. They're surrounding the people that are in our church even who have needs. We're able to say, hey, this person is sick or this person lost their job. 
And people from their community group are showing up to bring them meals. People from, from different ministries that they volunteer with are showing up to help care for their kids, to, to provide food for them, to buy groceries for them, to ensure their bills are paid. So we have people loving their enemies by doing good, and we have people that are loving the household of faith and doing good. And that's our, our prompt. As we trust in the Lord, we roll our burdens onto him, we then do good. That's our calling. We show them the goodness of God through our actions. And there's so much more through the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, and then Mark 12 is where we see do good most prevalently. And when Jesus says that the greatest command is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving someone is doing good. Doing good by the Lord, doing good by them. And the more we do good, we, we don't earn more favor in the eyes of the Lord. We don't become better people. We don't get to higher heaven or more gold stars on our angel wings or whatever. Those are all out the window. We do good because God has been good to us. We love others because he first loved us. So we trust in the Lord to do good as a response to the goodness we received. The grace that has set us free from our chains, our addictions, our hopelessness, our doubt, our worry, our fear. We do good because we're not comparing to others. We don't see others with more and think they're better and we're less. Instead, as we just reflected again in Philippians, we serve others. We look to the interest of others, not just to the interest of ourselves. We elevate others. We see their needs as more important than ours because we're called to serve. Serving is a great way we do good. And then the second part of verse three, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I love that word dwell, because dwell is not a slow word. Dwell is not something that's, that's just temporary. Dwell implies this permanence. When you think, well, I'm going to go sit down on the couch. If you've got kids at home, that may not last very long. I know anytime I sit on the couch, I'm looking to get maybe some reprieve, some comfort to relax, and I'm either going to end up with children piling onto me or children doing something that requires me to get up off the couch. But this isn't saying, hey, just come sit for a little bit. This is a dwell. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Dwell, sit, and be present and enjoy and slowly take in as we dwell. And we're enjoying safety in our dwelling. So it's this pattern of we trust in the Lord as we roll our burdens onto him. We're doing good, and then we're also dwelling in the land that's been given to us, dwelling in the promises of the Lord, dwelling, sitting, spending time in the moments that we have, recognizing that God has been so good to us. And when we do that, during our dwelling, we recognize that he is our safety and our security. He's provided us safety. He's provided us our needs, gives us our food, our water, our clothing. He shows up in ways that we don't expect it, in ways we don't deserve it, because we're dwelling in that land. And so when we're able to reflect on that and respond by doing good and continue to build our trust in him, it breathes this whole new contentment. And contentment really is this opportunity to rest in joy and live a life fully aware that God has taken care of us. And you live your life differently when you're not comparing to others. You live your life differently when you're content in who God made you to be and what God has given you to fulfill his calling for you. So we dwell in the land. And then that verse four Verse four is so powerful. It's, it's been used, you could see it on the wall, Mardell's on shirts and mugs and all that, but it's such a true promise for us. 
Verse four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This has been misinterpreted time and time again, where people are thinking, well, I should just ask God and, and you know, God, you're good. Where's my Ferrari? God, you're good. Where's my mansion? Where's the extra zeros in my retirement account or my checking account? I'm, I'm delighting in you. I'm celebrating you. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, my heart desires extreme uh, financial fluidity. I need to be wealthy. I need to have more things. I need to have more time. I need obedient children. I need a better job, more recognition at work. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land, but delight in him, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This word delight really does point us to Jesus because we're delighting in God because he's given us a firm foundation to rest on. We're not delighting wandering around into some unknown future. We're delighting in God who has given us that future, who has given us a promise, who has given us hope, who has opened the door to eternal life through Jesus. While we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. And so we're delighting in that promise. We're delighting in that foundation that he has made for us. So delight is really choosing not to envy. Delight is choosing not to fret because we have contentment. Whereas envy builds resentment, delight builds contentment. And so when we're envious, we begin to really resent the people we're envious of. We resent the things we're envious of. And that resentment just builds and it gnaws and it tears away at who we are as we continue to heat up and get gnawed at. Whereas delight breeds contentment. Delight helps us to recognize the desires of our hearts. What do I really want? What brings me so much joy? What do I delight in? I know for me, there's things I delight in. You can check my social media. If you check anyone's Instagram feed, Twitter feed, Facebook feed, if you check their social media, you'll be able to see, oh, they delight in X, Y, Z. A lot of my posts are about my, my wife, my kids, and my dog. I delight in them. I find so much joy in them. So much joy in, in the fact that I, I get to have children. I get to have a wife. I get to have a dog. And, and it's not all the time just rainbows and butterflies. But I delight in them. I find great joy in them. Depending on the season, you can see that I delight in the Texas Rangers or the Texas Tech Red Raiders, Dallas Cowboys. I find delight in their successes because I'm tied tightly to them. And that delight shows itself. It's what I talk about. It's represented in the clothing I wear and the things that I tell others about. It's what I spend my time researching and celebrating. It's where I spend my money. Well, I could buy tickets for that, or I can upgrade my cable system so I can watch these games. Our delight is revealed in our action. And I trust in the Dallas Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. We've been saying it for 15, 20, 30 years now. It's going to happen. And so I delight in them every season. I delight in what they're doing. I delight in the new players acquired, in the, in the players they decided to keep, in the new coaches. I delight in those things. And I live out my delight by responding so. People have no question where my loyalty is, where my contentment lies. But when we delight in the Lord, how is that revealed? I don't want to just sit up here and say, hey, you should like God more and things are going to be okay. I think that's, that's a solid promise, but I don't think it has any legs to it. It's not as tangible as truly delighting in God. And so just like 
delighting in your family, delighting in your car, delighting in your sports teams, delighting in your job. It's going to be lived out in what you do. And so the things I put on here to help me delight, my practical application for what it looks like to delight, I want to pray with joy to God. I want to celebrate him for who he is. I want to pray, let him know that I trust him and live a life that shows my trust in him. But also, I want to be honest with God. God, I'm upset right now, and I kind of want to blame you for it. Why is this part of your plan? Why am I crippled with this thing? Why is this my thorn? Why didn't I get an easier struggle, an easier temptation? Something less public, something less embarrassing, something less debilitating. I want to be honest with him because I trust in him. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delight in him by being real. And there are people in your life that you could probably reflect on currently or in the past where you've thought, I was so honest with that person because I, I genuinely trusted them. I delighted in the fact that they were for me, no matter what I said. And so I think praying recognizes a commitment to talking with God, a commitment to a relationship. But praying honestly and earnestly, trusting him, knowing that he already knows, I think it demonstrates the next level of being able to delight in him. Thank God you already know. You already know my struggle, my bent. You already know my thorn, my pain, my temptation. You know my wants. You know the desires of my heart. Would you help me to delight in you? So praying establishes that. Telling others about what you delight in. I think if people only knew that I just delight in my family and my sports teams, I think they're missing out on, on the biggest desire of my heart is that they would know the saving grace of Jesus and how much of that sets them free from what they're chasing, what they're trying to hold on to, what they're trying to claim. So if I'm not telling people about that, if I'm not posting about my delight in the Lord, do people really know about it? And is it really a delight? So how are we telling people about what we delight in? Because it should be revealed as, as the fruit that we bear through our lives, we should delight in the Lord and he'll give us the desires of our hearts. Uh, Life-changing, contagious grace is the next thing. If we live a life that reveals this grace we've been filled with, this grace that we've been given, it's going to be revealed in the way we treat people. And contagious grace offers grace first, not judgment first, not reminders of the law first. We lead with grace because we delight in the grace we've received. And then really knowing God. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. You don't know their credentials. You don't know their story. You don't know if they're for you or not. But I think knowing God helps us to trust in him. And knowing God happens through dwelling in his scriptures. Let's really read about his character because his character says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Romans 8. Scripture reminds us over and over again, he is for us. He will not condemn us. He's got so much hope for us. He's wired us away to be a blessing to others. He has shown us time and time again that the least of these really aren't the least of these. There's so much more for them. There's so much more to us than just our sin, just our shame. And when we know God, we know those things about God, we're able to take more delight in him. And when the desires of our hearts are aligned with what God would desire for his people, he fulfills them. Because the desire of our heart of someone delighting in God is going to be a desire that's be a, the blessing for others. So my desire in my heart is that I would be a blessing to my, to my kids and to my wife. I'd be a blessing to my neighbors. I, I do desire a Super Bowl ring for the Cowboys again. And I desire success for all my sports teams. 
but that, that doesn't really matter in the long run. In fact, I've, I've gotten used to them not being successful, and I'm still living a great life. I'm still immensely blessed because the true desire of my heart is around God's plan for me and God's work in me, on me, and through me. So we should desire the Lord, delight in the Lord, trust in the Lord, do good. And we get to dwell or rest in the promise he has for us. And then we've got a couple more verses here. We'll keep reading five, six, and seven. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward, your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. This is a big one. Commit and then trust. Trust pops up again. But that word commit is a big one because so many of us have commitment issues. We change our electric provider every six months. We change our cable provider. We switch from Netflix to Hulu. We, we change the stores we shop at or the, the restaurants we eat at. The, the minute someone upsets us, the minute something doesn't go the way that we had planned, the, the perfection that we had lined out for our expectation and the service provided to us. We've got commitment issues. And some of, the, some of the things we're committed to or not committed to don't really matter at all. If you're switching from McDonald's to Burger King, if you're switching from Popeye's to Chick-fil-A, I know that was a big one last year. A lot of people fell from grace then. But I don't think that matters as much as our commitment to who we're serving and how we're living. David writes, commit your way to the Lord. Your way is what you have to do. What you're doing, your works, is another translation. When we commit what we're doing to the Lord, we're serving differently. Our integrity raises. The character that we're representing is different. Committing is it's a big word, saying, I'm choosing to live this way for this purpose. And our culture has built every way out of every commitment possible. Every commitment can be broken. There's lawyers who specialize in how do you break a contract legally. There's companies who will say, hey, you committed to this with that company. We're going to pay the penalty for you so you come over here and work for us or use our services. Hey, you committed these promises to this person, but you know what? It got hard. And so now we've, we've set up this pop-up tent and we'll provide $200 divorces or however much they're doing we're finding easy ways for people to break their commitments. And I think we have wired ourselves to expect an easy way to break a commitment because commitments come and go. But that's not the commitment David says here is we should commit our way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Do this is he'll give us the desires of our heart when we delight in him, when we roll our burdens onto him. Our commitment is representative of the covenant that he's made with us, this promise through Jesus that he'll, he'll give us eternal life as long as we profess our faith in him, confess in our mouths, believe in our heart that, that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior, and live a life that we have a Lord and we have a Savior that who is who's better than every other pursuit we could have, who's worthy of more praise we could ever give. So we commit our way to him. We commit our works to him. I wonder what every industry would look like if we had Christians, believers, living their life, working their work, doing their jobs for the Lord. Some of this is, is like elementary stuff. If we, would, if we would stop and pray, 
if we would open our Bibles and actually read to know God and be encouraged by his word, if we would gather with other believers to encourage, to be encouraged, to convict and rebuke, to, to teach, to strengthen, to sanctify, to bless. And if, if we would tell others about this good news, that there's, there's a, a man who took a punishment on the cross and raised from the dead so that we could be saved and set free, so we could be redeemed from all of these, these pains and these hardships, all these wrong decisions that we've willingly made. That's good news to be shared. So we should commit our way to the Lord. So we commit and then we trust in him again. So it's the circle of trust, do good, dwell, delight, and then commit. And when you're committed, you just jump back into that loop again of, I'm committed, so I'm going to keep trusting in the Lord. It's going to be revealed in the way that I do good. I'm going to do good and also get to dwell in the land. I get to dwell in the peace, dwell in the hope that God has given me. And then I'm going to commit my way to continue to do that cycle over and over again. Because he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. So it doesn't matter what these people we're comparing ourselves to get, how they live, what they're doing. He's vindicating us. Our reward will shine brighter. Our, our opportunity, our promise, our hope, our future is bigger and brighter than anyone we're comparing to. And that's a big deal. And so to recognize this, we should be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their schemes. Back to fretting. Stop, stop getting gnawed on by what other people are doing. Instead, get on board and roll your burdens onto the Lord who can carry them and commit to allowing him to carry them by doing good and dwelling in his land. And that looks like being still before him. We're still before the Lord in worship. We're still before the Lord in prayer, in reverence, in reflection, in meditation. And a lot can happen through stillness. A lot can happen when we wait patiently for him. A lot of us are out of patience right now. We're ready for things to go back to normal, for everything to be what it was, for all the businesses to be open, all the conveniences to be back just at the push of a button. We want all those things the way they were. But let's wait patiently and see what God is up to, because God is up to something here. So we should not fret about this season, should not fret about these people, because God has a big plan. And then he closes this section with this promise, and this is where we'll close in verse 8. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Rest in the Lord. Refrain from anger. Evildoers, wicked people, people we're envious of, people we're comparing to, their time will come and go. But our righteous reward, the promise that we have, the land we get to inherit is permanent. There's a big promise for us. The meek will inherit the land. We'll enjoy peace and prosperity. This is something Jesus pointed us to. Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's saying, these are the blessed people. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. David says it. Jesus says it. That's the promise for us. This, this meekness, this recognition that, 
We, we don't need to be envious of someone better than us. We live a life to where everyone is better than us because Jesus called us to be servants. Jesus came as a servant. He should have come as a king and just overtaken the world, but he came to show us how to selflessly live, how to walk in humility because the meek will inherit the earth. And we get to dwell in that land, sit and enjoy the comfort of the couch without children jumping on you or something causing you to have to get up. We get to enjoy rest. We get to enjoy peace and a peace that stays. When Jesus left, he said, my peace, I I give to you. My peace, I leave with you. Talking about the Holy Spirit coming to provide consistent peace in our life. And one of the fruit that we bear because of that spirit living in us and through us is peace. And we get to be peace, but we're inheriting a world of peace. Right now, we're in a world of chaos in some ways. But peace is on the horizon. Prosperity is on the horizon. God is for us. He will do good for us. Our reward is righteous and will shine like the sun if we can commit our way to him, if we can trust in him and do good. We should delight in those promises. We should delight in that goodness that God has for us. So to battle envious, to battle envy, to battle fretting, to battle worry, doubt, we can trust do good, dwell, delight, commit. And that ends in rest. We get to rest on the promises of God, rest on the firm foundation that Jesus has for us. I think that's, that's great news for us. Whether you're in a season of really enjoying this time or you're in a season of impatience and ready for the next thing, we can still trust, put all of our burdens onto him. We can still respond by doing good, in humility, being meek, knowing that we can dwell in the land that he's promised to us. And that looks like delighting in the Lord, finding contentment in the Lord, knowing that he's given us all all we need because he will give us the desires of our heart. So we should commit our ways to continuing to follow him. And then we get to rest in him again. So I want us to take something with us as we close out this psalm. I want us to focus on what God would have for us. And so our response is, what are you fretting about? What are you getting all worked up about? What do you feel like is gnawing at you? Really reflect on that. As well, where are you comparing? What comparisons are stealing your joy, are removing your contentment? And then the last one is how will you delight in the Lord? Not delight in, in more money, a new, new job, a new home, a new hope, whatever it is. We want to delight in the Lord. So those three questions, what are you fretting about? What are you comparing? What's stealing your contentment? And then how will you delight in the Lord? Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for being a God that meets our needs and provides for us. We thank you so much for showing us through your word the promises that you have for us. So would you convict our hearts right now? Would you help us to see where we're not delighting in you? Would you help us to see where we're not doing good, where we're not trusting in you? And would you people, put people in our lives that help us to commit our way to the Lord, that encourage us in our walk, that strengthen our faith so that we might do good, so that we might trust you more to truly delight in who you are. We thank you for the grace you give us through Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you guys with us on Sunday.